Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kehud Malkuto Le'olam Va'ed Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of His kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Tuesday, March 21st. It is prophesied in the book of Amos that in the last days there would be a famine in the land. Not a famine for food, but a famine for the Word of God, as it is written in Amos 8, 11, and 12. Behold, the days come, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro, and seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. Even in the days of Joseph there were seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. He had stored up grain for the seven years of famine. The Daily Audio Torah is your storehouse where you can get grain. It is twenty minutes every day of pure scripture flowing out, living manna to feed your spirit. Are you being blessed by this ministry? Please consider supporting Daily Audio Torah. You can make a one-time or a recurring donation by going to dailyaudiotorah.com and then click on the Give pick on the navigation menu. You can then make a secure online donation there. Thank you for your prayers, and thank you for your support. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week we are reading from the New Living Translation for the Hebrew Scriptures and for the Brit Hadashah. Today we continue the Torah portion, Vayikra, and it means, He called. If you present an animal from the herd as a peace offering to the Lord, it may be a male or a female, but it must have no defects. Lay your hand on the animal's head and slaughter it at the entrance of the tabernacle. Then Aaron's sons, the priests, will splatter its blood against all sides of the altar. The priest must present part of this peace offering as a special gift to the Lord. This includes all the fat around the internal organs, the two kidneys and the fat around them near the loins, and the long lobe of the liver. These must be removed with the kidneys, and Aaron's sons will burn them on top of the burnt offering on the wood burning on the altar. It is a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If you present an animal from the flock as a peace offering to the Lord, it may be a male or a female, but it must have no defects. If you present a sheep as your offering, bring it to the Lord. Lay your hand on its head and slaughter it in front of the tabernacle. Aaron's sons will then splatter the sheep's blood against all sides of the altar. The priest must present the fat of this peace offering as a special gift to the Lord. This includes the fat of the broad tail 
cut off near the backbone, all the fat around the internal organs, the two kidneys and the fat around them near the loins, and the long lobe of the liver. These must be removed with the kidneys, and the priest will burn them on the altar. It is a special gift of food presented to the Lord. If you present a goat as your offering, bring it to the Lord, lay your hand on its head, and slaughter it in front of the tabernacle. Aaron's sons will then splatter the goat's blood against all sides of the altar. The priest must present part of this offering as a special gift to the Lord. This includes all the fat around the internal organs, the two kidneys and the fat around them near the loins, and the long lobe of the liver. These must be removed with the kidneys, and the priest will burn them on the altar. It is a special gift of food, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. All the fat belongs to the Lord. You must never eat any fat or blood. This is a permanent law for you, and it must be observed from generation to generation wherever you live. Isaiah 43, 21-44-23 I have made Israel for myself, and they will some day honor me before the whole world. But, dear family of Jacob, you refuse to ask for my help. You have grown tired of me, O Israel. You have not brought me sheep or goats for burnt offerings. You have not honored me with sacrifices, though I have not burdened and wearied you with requests for grain offerings and frankincense. You have not brought me fragrant calamus or pleased me with the fat from sacrifices. Instead, you have burdened me with your sins and wearied me with your faults. I, yes, I alone, will blot out your sins for my own sake and will never think of them again. Let us review the situation together, and you can present your case to prove your innocence. From the very beginning, your first ancestors sinned against me. All your leaders broke my laws. That is why I have disgraced your priests. I have decreed complete destruction for Jacob and shame for Israel. But now listen to me, Jacob, my servant, Israel, my chosen one. The Lord who made you and helps you says, Do not be afraid, O Jacob, my servant, O dear Israel, my chosen one. For I will pour out water to quench your thirst and to irrigate your parched fields. And I will pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your children. They will thrive like watered grass, like willows on a river bank. Some will proudly claim, I belong to the Lord. Others will say, I am a descendant of Jacob. Some will write the Lord's name on their hands and will take the name of Israel as their own. This is what the Lord says, Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord of Heaven's armies, Yahweh Savaiot. I am the first and the last, the Alpha and Omega, the Aleph and the Tav. There is no other God. Who is like me? Let him step forward and prove to you his power. 
Let him do as I have done since ancient times, when I established a people and explained its future. Do not tremble, do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim my purposes for you long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any other God? No, there is no other rock, not one. How foolish are those who manufacture idols! These prized objects are really worthless. The people who worship idols don't know this, so they are all put to shame. Who but a fool would make his own god, an idol that cannot help him one bit? All who worship idols will be disgraced along with all these craftsmen, mere humans, who claim they can make a god. They may all stand together, but they will stand in terror and shame. The blacksmith stands at his forge to make a sharp tool, pounding and shaping it with all his might. His work makes him hungry and weak. It makes him thirsty and faint. Then the woodcarver measures a block of wood and draws a pattern on it. He works with chisel and plane and carves it into a human figure. He gives it human beauty and puts it into a little shrine. He cuts down cedars, he selects the cypress and the oak, he plants the pine in the forest to be nourished by the rain. Then he uses part of the wood to make a fire. With it he warms himself and bakes his bread. Then, yes, it's true, he takes the rest of it and makes himself a god to worship. He makes an idol and bows down in front of it. He burns part of the tree to roast his meat and to keep himself warm. He says, Ah, that fire feels good. Then he takes what's left and makes his god a carved idol. He falls down in front of it, worshipping and praying to it. Rescue me, he says. You are my god. Such stupidity and ignorance. Their eyes are closed and they cannot see. Their minds are shut and they cannot think. The person who made the idol never stops to reflect why it's just a block of wood. I burned half of it for heat and used it to bake my bread and roast my meat. How can the rest of it be a god? Should I bow down to worship a piece of wood? The poor deluded fool feeds on ashes. He trusts something that can't help him at all. Yet he cannot bring himself to ask, Is this idol that I am holding in my hand a lie? Pay attention, O Jacob, for you are my servant, O Israel. I, the Lord, made you, and I will not forget you. I have swept away your sins like a cloud. I have scattered your offenses like the morning mist. O return to me, for I have paid the price to set you free. Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done this wondrous thing. Shout for joy, O depths of the earth. Break into song, O mountains and forests and every tree. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and is glorified in Israel. Luke 4, 31-5-11 Then Yeshua went to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and taught there in the synagogue every Sabbath day. 
There too the people were amazed at his teaching, for he spoke with authority. Once when he was in the synagogue, a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit, cried out, shouting, Go away! Why are you interfering with us, Yeshua of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Yeshua reprimanded him. Be quiet! Come out of the man, he ordered. At that the demon threw the man to the floor as the crowd watched. Then it came out of him without hurting him further. Amazed, the people exclaimed, What authority and power this man's words possess! Even evil spirits obey him, and they flee at his command. The news about Yeshua spread through every village in the entire region. After leaving the synagogue that day, Yeshua went to Simon's home, where he found Simon's mother-in-law very sick with a high fever. Please heal her, everyone begged. Standing at her bedside, he rebuked the fever, and it left her and she got up at once and prepared a meal for them. As the sun went down that evening, people throughout the village brought sick family members to Yeshua. No matter what their diseases were, the touch of his hand healed everyone. Many were possessed by demons, and the demons came out at his command, shouting, You are the Son of God! But because they knew he was the Messiah, he rebuked them and refused to let them speak. Early the next morning, Yeshua went out to an isolated place. The crowd searched everywhere for him, and when they finally found him, they begged him not to leave them. But he replied, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too, because that is why I was sent. So he continued to travel around, preaching in synagogues throughout Judea. One day, as Yeshua was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Yeshua asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper, and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon... Both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Yeshua and said, O Lord, please leave me, I am such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Yeshua replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Yeshua. Psalm 64, 1-10 O God, listen to my complaint. 
Protect my life from my enemy's threats. Hide me from the plots of this evil mob, from this gang of wrongdoers. They sharpen their tongues like swords and aim their bitter words like arrows. They shoot from ambush at the innocent and attack suddenly and fearlessly. They encourage each other to do evil. They plan how to set their traps in secret. Who will ever notice, they ask. As they plot their crimes, they say, We have devised the perfect plan. Yes, the human heart and mind are cunning. But God himself will shoot them with his arrows, suddenly striking them down. Their own tongues will ruin them, and all who see them will shake their heads in scorn. Then everyone will be afraid. They will proclaim the mighty acts of God and realize all the amazing things he does. The godly will rejoice in the Lord and find shelter in Him, and those who do what is right will praise Him. Proverbs 11.22 A beautiful woman who lacks discretion is like a gold ring in a pig's snout. Or 3.2.1 I want to speak to you today from our Haftorah portion reading from Isaiah chapter 43 and 44. I want to begin with Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25, where it is written, I, yes, I alone, will blot out your sins for my own sake, and you will never think of them again. This is a remez hint pointing us to Yeshua. This is a Yeshua sighting. Yes, he's there all throughout the Hebrew Scriptures. You have to look. So, it is Yeshua who blots out our sins, and it's by his blood that he shed when he was nailed to the tree that our sins are blotted out. And when we repent and we come to him, to the cross, he blots out our sins and our transgressions. He goes on to review a bit of their history, the nation of Israel. And in verse 27, he says, From the very beginning, your first ancestors sinned against me, and all your leaders broke my laws, or broke my Torah. who Who is that first ancestor? That would be Adam and Eve. And so he goes on to say, that is why I have disgraced your priests and I've decreed complete destruction for Jacob and shame for Israel. So I wanted to find some words. Yeshua's family is the house of Jacob. And the house of Jacob, Jacob had 12 sons and those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. And so one of those sons being Judah gives rise to the Jewish people. And the the son Levi gives rise to the Levitical priesthood. So Judah and Levi kind of banded together when the kingdom split occurred. And the house of Judah became the southern kingdom. And the house of Israel, also known as Ephraim or Joseph, became the northern kingdom, the ten tribes of the north. So, there's complete destruction for Jacob. How do we see that? Well, we saw about the first temple being destroyed in 586 BC, and then the second temple was destroyed in 70 AD. And then, of course, uh, 
the northern kingdom was taken into captivity to Assyria, and from there they were assimilated, and they were scattered to all the nations of the earth. And the southern kingdom, Judah, was taken into captivity, into exile, and they went to Babylon, and they were there for 70 years, and then a remnant of the Jewish people returned to Israel, returned to Judah, returned to Jerusalem. Then he goes on to say in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 1, and I want to zoom in on this, but now listen to me, Jacob, my servant, Israel, my chosen one. And he goes on to say in verse 2, the Lord who made you and helps you says, do not be afraid, O Jacob, my servant, O dear Israel, my chosen one. It is the Jewish people who gave us the Hebrew scriptures who meticulously and carefully copied the scriptures on Torah parchment scrolls over the centuries and preserved the word of God and gave us the word of God. And we owe the nation of Israel and the Jewish people a great debt. And I'm quoting from Derek Prince there on that. And God is speaking directly to Israel here. He's saying, don't be afraid. He's saying, Israel, my chosen one. So we who follow the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we are grafted into the olive tree. That's Romans 11. And it's the rich root that supports us, not we who support the root. And so we become naturalized citizens in the commonwealth of Israel. And so Israel has a very special place in the heart of God. I want to jump down now to Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6. This is what the Lord says, Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord of heaven's armies, Yahweh Saviot. So who is Israel's king? That would be Yeshua. It says so right on the tree that they nailed him onto, that he's the king of the Jews. And Yeshua was, after all, Jewish. Our Messiah is Jewish, and he is the king of the Jews. So here, this verse is saying more about that, that he is also the Lord of heaven's armies. He is Yahweh Saviot. And it goes on to say, I am the first and the last. There is no other God. Now, in Revelation, it talks about this as well. Yeshua says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. And that's the Greek. But in the Hebrew, it is, I am the Aleph and the Tav. The Aleph and the Tav. Now, in the Hebrew alphabet, the Aleph is like your letter A or Alpha in Greek. And the Tav is the last letter of the alphabet. That would be like Z in English or... Omega in Greek. So Yeshua is there in the very beginning, and he's known as the Aleph and the Top. So this verse, Isaiah 44, verse 6, is a Ramez hint pointing us to Yeshua. He is the Aleph and the Tav, the first and the last. He's there in the beginning in Genesis 1-1, and he's there at the very end when um, all of the end-time events happen in the book of Revelation. Then he goes on in this chapter to talk about how foolish it is to manufacture idols. 
these prized objects are really worthless, and the people who worship idols don't know this, so they are all put to shame. Now, he uses the example of a piece of wood that somebody could go out in the forest with their axe and cut some wood and use some of that wood to make a campfire and to cook their their meal, their dinner, on the campfire, and then use the rest of the wood to carve out an idol and then worship it. Can, can a piece of wood hear or speak or do anything to help you? And he talks about how foolish that is. Now, maybe we cannot relate to that today because we don't go to little stores and buy little figurines made of wood and then bow down and worship them. But what do some of the modern-day idols look like? Well, here's a thought experiment. If you were all of a sudden helicoptered out of your comfortable home or office or place of work, and you were taken to a tropical island somewhere in the Caribbean, but you couldn't take anything with you. All you have with you are the clothes that you're wearing. No cell phone, no laptop, no technology, no overnight bag, not even a toothbrush, not a compass, no water bottle, nothing. Just what you're wearing. And they left you on this deserted island. What would be some of the first initial thoughts that you have? I know for me, when I thought about this, I thought, wow, I wish I had my cell phone. I could, uh, you know, find my bearings and find out where I am. I could call somebody and say, help, come get me. I'm lost. Um, I could look things up on the Internet, on my phone, and, and try to get information to help me survive. And yet, could the cell phone become our modern-day idol that we depend on it for our texting and for messages and for phone calls and for our data, for Internet searches and for news and information and even entertainment? I think what the Lord would have us do in this thought experiment, if you were on a deserted island, is pray. Lord, I need water. I need fresh, clean water. Please show me where I can find water. Lord, I need shelter. Help me find shelter. Help me find a cave or help me to build a shelter. Uh, I don't have a saw or a knife or any kind of tools to cut with to create a shelter. But Lord, you know this island like the back of your hand. Please show me where I can find shelter. I know when I went through this little thought experiment, my inclination was to lean on technology. And I think that truly our modern day idol, if we're not careful, is that we can depend on our technology on the cell phone or the laptop more than depending upon the Lord. Now, I'm not saying we should throw those things away or not use them anymore. Of course not. But we need to be careful that we're not depending upon that more than what we do to depend upon the Lord. Sometimes I think it's a good idea to just turn it off and be quiet and pray and get into the presence of God and not allow the cell phone to take over our life. 
I want to conclude with the verses from Isaiah 44, verses 21 and 22, where it is written, Pay attention, O Jacob, for you are my servant, O Israel. I, the Lord, made you, and I will not forget you. I have swept away your sins like a cloud. I have scattered your offenses like the morning mist. O return to me, for I have paid the price to set you free. And again, this is a remez hint pointing us to Yeshua. Yeshua paid the ultimate price when he died on the tree and shed his precious blood for your sins and for mine. And in doing that, he sets us free from the bondage of sin and death. And he gives us the gift of eternal life. God is so merciful. He is so kind. He is so forgiving. I love the word picture that's painted here. I have scattered your offenses like the morning mist. We don't have to walk in shame or in guilt anymore over our past sins. They've been scattered like the morning mist. And you can hear the compassion in the voice of the Lord as he cries out, Return to me, for I have paid the price to set you free. We thank you, Father, that Yeshua has paid that price to set us free. Thank you that when we look upon and gaze upon the wondrous cross, all of our sin is nailed there. And we bring our pride and bitterness and anger and unforgiveness and fear We bring all of our sin there to the cross today. We leave it there. We thank you, Abba, that we can walk in freedom because of what Yeshua did on the cross for each one of us. We love you, we bless you, and we praise you. In Yeshua's name, amen. Adonai Vish Mareka Yaya Adonai Anavilaka Vikuneka Isa Adonai Anav Eleka Vayaseh Leka Leka The Aaronic Blessing from Numbers chapter 6, 24-26 Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you 
and give you peace.